Welcome, golf fans. You're listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, located in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. For those of you that haven't visited Charleston, it's an oasis in the South, located on the Atlantic Ocean between Myrtle Beach and Hilton Head Island. This area is rich in history, particularly as it pertains to the Civil War and the heritage of the Creole-speaking Gula people. There were just so many things that attracted me to this area. The climate, the endless beaches, the award-winning restaurants, the energy of the college community, the kindness of the people, and of course the golf courses. Opening new restaurants is the biggest sport in this town. Condé Nast has voted Charleston the top city in the world nine straight years in a row. When strangers pass each other, they wave, say hey, or nod and smile. That's just a thing here in Charleston. I've been fortunate to live in ten different cities in seven states and have enjoyed the best they've offered. The random acts of kindness and outright friendliness here in Charleston are like no other place I've ever lived, and it's contagious. It's those things and more that have led me to want to share my stories in golf and the stories that I've heard at the first tee box. But what would make this even better is hearing and sharing your stories on this podcast. As we're all still working through a pandemic, we're experiencing a lot of the same things. Claustrophobia inside our houses, having to get out, golf being one of the only things you can do. So... I'm sure you'll hear some of these stories and say, oh, the same thing happened to me. Oh, God. Yeah, but I want to hear the buts. I want to hear the other stories that have happened, the ones I haven't heard yet, some of the crazy things on a golf course, some of the golf bets that are only common with you and your foursome, some drinking stories, some out-of-control stories, some you're-not-going-to-believe-this kind of stories because that's what makes golf rich. Golfers are my people. Whenever I go someplace and meet somebody for the first time and find out that they have the same passion for golf that I do, we immediately get into a conversation of, so where have you played? What's your handicap? What kind of golfing games do you play? We all share a common bond, a shared language, and similar goals to hit that shot, make that putt, and post that score that we're aiming for. I work at the first tee at Charleston National Golf Club, a semi-private, Reese Jones-developed course located in the marshes of North Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Lore has it that this course was developed to be the next gem like Bobby Jones's course in Augusta, Georgia. But Hurricane Hugo in 1989 changed those plans. After it destroyed the entire course, and after 40,000 trees were removed. It took two years, but they reopened in 1991. Man, I wish I would have had the opportunity to play it before the hurricane hit. But 29 years later, in 2020, it still is one of Charleston's finest golf courses. As a starter at the first tee box, I get to hear and interact with most all golfers. I hear all kinds of water cooler talk about so many different topics. Current events, you know in 2020 it's an election year. 
It's a pandemic year. A lot of people are out of work. So you can imagine all kinds of story about politics. I mean, girl problems becomes a major topic, particularly when they signed up a foursome and only three show up. And somebody has to talk about the reason why the fourth didn't show up is that his girlfriend is tired of him playing four times a week and not helping out in the house. Well, I think that tune has changed over the last several months, particularly with the pandemic and quarantining. A lot of significant others are encouraging the other one to get out, go play some golf, go practice. Just do anything to get out of the house. Talking about restaurants and bars is also a big thing on the first tee box. Did you get to 167 Raw? They have a new location on King Street. Jackrabbit Philly. I mean, that's some creative cooking. Butcher and Boar. Little Miss Ha. An Old Faithful Hall Steakhouse. Where excellence in customer service and great chefing make it an experience that you won't forget. The PGA Tour is also a heavily discussed topic. Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, a year ago, the discussions about him were about how he had a scientist brain and was one of the slowest golfers on the tour. This year, he's gained 30 to 40 pounds. Just don't tell him he's chubby. He hits the ball in places that most other pros don't hit it. The announcers go apeshit every time he hits the ball. Watching him from last year to this year is like watching David Banner turn into the Hulk. It's almost like if the long drive champion and the law of quantum physics had a 26-year-old baby. That would be Bryson. Hey, and what about bad haircuts during the pandemic? Both Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson separately decided to make themselves look as goofy as possible, almost like Ricky's mustache. At least it gave us something to talk about during the pandemic. Well, now that the PGA Tour is back on TV again, we're seeing things like, again, Bryson's Drive. Colin Marikawa on the 16th tee box at the PGA Championship nails a drive, makes the eagle putt, goes on to win. I mean, it was a great thing. Or what about Justin Thomas? Did he just say fuck on TV? Yeah, fuck yeah, he did. I mean, who doesn't say that when they're out playing golf? The pros are no different than us. They line up a shot. They're positive that's where it's going to go. They hit it, and then the universe comes back and talks to them. And they talk right back to the universe. Fuck! Golf equipment is another subject of discussion at the first tee. It's not uncommon to see an entire foursome arrive early, pull out their drivers, and start swinging to get in the rhythm of the game, and then get into a conversation about the different drivers they've picked up. TaylorMade Sim Max and Callaway Maverick seem to be the most popular this year. I always thought it was a coincidence that both Callaway's new driver and the new Top Gun movie were named Maverick the same year they were both launching. I mean, wouldn't that have been a great cross-promotion? So here's a funny story. A few weeks ago, I'm at the first tee box, and I see a player I see all the time. He's a frequent player. He's pretty good. And I asked him how his game is, and he said, well, you know, I've been crushing the ball off the tee box. My approach shots have been like throwing darts, and I'm putting like unbelievable. So I asked him, so what, what are you playing to? What index? And he said, I'm playing to a three. And I'm thinking, that's really good, man. I'd like to get there. So a few minutes later, 
the rest of his playing partners get to the first tee box and they're trying to establish the bet. So the first question is, okay, so what's your index now? Without hesitating, he turns around and says, I'm a 7.5. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, number one, I don't want to bet with this guy. Number two, maybe he has short-term memory and you forgot the conversation we had. Or maybe he was bragging and that three handicap was something he did one day, but certainly not over the course of time. But this happens so often, it's really hard to bet, particularly with people you haven't played with in a while. But it's a game of honor. So I say trust. Trust and verify. See how the first nine holes go. And if it's crazy out of whack, make an adjustment when you get to 10. I would love to hear your stories about playing partners who exaggerate their handicap, either on the high side or the low side. I mean, as they say, there have to be a million stories in the big city. And I would love to share yours. I'd like to share some of my stories which led me to the first tee. I started playing golf at 10. My parents had moved all of us to Dix Hills, New York, a small community in Suffolk County, Long Island. We were too young to work, and my parents wanted my older brother and me out of the house during the summertime. And who could really blame them? I mean, just look at the pandemic now. Parents want their kids to go out and play. My brother and I would always get into a game that would escalate into a knockdown dragout fight. After a few episodes of middle-tip darts being thrown at each other or an innocuous rubber band flinging game that turned into paper clips being slingshot at each other's faces, I think it was time for us to find an activity outside. Both my parents thought that golf would be a good idea. I mean, really, golf is a gentleman's game. Conveniently, there was a nine-hole course around a half a mile from our house. Dix Hills Park was a small nine-hole course that we could walk to days when our parents couldn't take us there, and that was more times than not. It was convenient, and it was a good way for our parents to get us the help, for the parents to give us an opportunity to develop our skills. One midsummer day, our mom insisted we go and play golf. She had stuff to do and there was no way she was leaving us in the house alone for that long. She dropped us off at the course and asked us to walk home after. She figured that's a good two hours, two and a half hours for her to have peace and quiet or go do what she needed to do. The two of us started playing and after a few holes got into a lot of verbal abuse. And I'm sure he started because I was just a little angel. My brother, Michael, must have crossed the line just enough to get under my skin. I think he said something, and I challenged him. It said something like this. Hey, say it again, and you're dead. He repeated himself, and I whipped my putter at his head, missing by inches and landing like a long dart right in the middle of the ninth green. And it just so happens that the ninth green was just a spit away from the pro shop where both the head pro and the greenskeeper were standing and watching in amazement of my stupidity. Both Michael and I were escorted off the course by the greenskeeper, who had hands like catcher's mitts clinched around the back of our necks. It was a time when parents allowed other adults in charge to discipline their kids if they got out of line. I mean, could you imagine that today? 
Child services would have been called there in a New York minute. The head pro made us call our parents to pick us up. They wanted to make sure that we were all there together when they banned us from the course. There were no cell phones back then. So we had to wait an hour, maybe two hours, until my mom got home and answered the landline. She called my dad at work to pick us up. He got there, listened to the pro, and when he got us to the car, he looked back at us and just said one word. Idiots! I'm sure we're not the only kids to have been escorted off a golf course, and I'd love to hear your stories. So yeah, we were banned from that course for the summer. But luckily, my parents joined a country club for the first time in their lives, and we got another chance to fight. I mean, play. My parents weren't brought up in a country club life. They were both raised near New York City, so a country club life was a new step up for them and a warning to us. Hey, Richard, I'm going to tell you one time. Don't get us kicked out. My folks both became avid weekend golfers and way more competitive than I'd ever seen before. My dad would teach me about some betting games like Nassau and Skins and would always make sure that he told me about how much he won, how much he lost, and who did what on the golf course. He started playing at 40, and nothing was natural about his golf swing or his attire. My dad looked and swung the club like Raymond Floyd, and most of you would agree that's a very unconventional swing, but sometimes very effective. Pink or yellow golf slacks were not out of the question. My dad was colorblind, so every once in a while he would come downstairs wearing yellow slacks with one orange sock and one green sock. Now how he even got a pair of either orange or green is really the bigger question. His best handicap over the years of playing golf was probably a 10.5 or 11. Because he had experienced a couple of rounds in the 70s, many in the 80s, but most in the 90s, his expectations is that every time he got the club in his hand, he was going to shoot in the 70s. That led to his constant outbursts on the course. It's funny, you know how you meet people on the golf course at the first tee, exchange handshakes, at least before the pandemic, and exchange names. Most of us forget names by the time we get to the second hole. And if we don't write it down or peek at their scorecard, we have to ask what their name is or figure some way. My dad and I were playing with another couple we'd never played with before. And when we got to the third hole, one of the other playing partners said, hey, what's your dad's name? All I said was, just wait for it. He said, what? I said, just wait for it. About that time, my dad had stood up to the third tee box, teed his ball up, went through his pre-shot routine, addressed the ball, and whacked it with a horrible slice which found the water. He started yelling, Robin, Robin, you idiot. So I turned to the playing partner who had asked for his name, and with a smirk on my face, I said, well, there you have it. It's Robin, but you could call him Bob. My mom, who picked up the game of golf years after my dad, decided it would be a good idea for the two of them to play together. I mean, look, they could spend that much more time together. She improved fairly quickly, broke 100 within the first year, and over time she would break 90. She was by far the most competitive in the family. 
As a matter of fact, she just wanted to beat the other ladies at the club, and my dad on occasion. She didn't do it for fun. She didn't do it to make new girlfriends. She didn't do it to look to build couples' relationships. So what's it like playing with her? She was a walking rule book, particularly when she played in the ladies' league. If anybody moved while she was hitting, she would give them a stare that would scare a kindergartner. If anybody hit or putt out a turn, she would call them out over it. And dinner conversation over most weekend nights all centered around golf earlier in the day. Imagine eating dinner at the club at the same day that either of my parents had an outlier day. It was awkward to hear stories about somebody they played with earlier in the day that rubbed them the wrong way because those people were usually sitting two tables away from us at dinner. Both my brother and I shortly thereafter lost interest in the sport and started focusing on other things. But boy, do I still miss hearing my dad's name on the golf course. I'd love to hear your stories. Who mentored you? Was it your parents, your grandparents, a buddy of yours? I'm sure you got some great stories. I temporarily gave up the sport of golf for lacrosse. I loved that sport and found a lot of similarities. An underhanded shot to the top corner was just like taking a four iron stinger down the fairway. In my next episode, I'll talk about my experiences in business golf and like to hear yours as well. I reintroduced myself to the sport when I found that golf was a thing in business. I'd love to hear your stories. You've been listening to my podcast, Tales from the First Tee. This is Rich Easton from Charleston, South Carolina, and I'd like to hear your stories. 